Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most diabolical work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Conviction 5.3. So, you know, we open in the cell as Blake is kind of struggling to define the characteristics of who he is as he leaves them in a puddle of blood on his floor. I, I love that introduction you just gave that was fantastic uh well done uh because that's exactly what is happening uh Blake is having an existential crisis as he is dripping his very (laughs) essence all over the place uh a very literal existential crisis (laughs) not the usual uh not the usual kind of existential crisis well yeah both you're right um yeah Um, and and i mean because this this chapter begins to answer a question that uh blake and i have sort of been holding on to um since arc two and and you know that's blake's is explicitly raising that question to open the chapter which mm-hmm. is what what exactly does it mean to give away all of your power like it's clearly more than uh, as i've already said losing blood and, and feeling dizzy yeah uh, but it's been a little unclear until now yeah and and this chapter is kind of blake discovering more and more things that that uh happen as the side effects of him losing his him um yeah. He and and we kind of see that theme here where Blake notices the real world getting fuzzier and harder to focus on, but Evan and Rose remain sharp. They remain clear. Um mm. and you know, going through this chapter for the first time, we're not really sure why that is. Like is it because he's attached to them? Is it because they're others? Um, yeah, well, because at first I was like, oh, well, you know, he's attached to Rose, that makes sense. But then it was Evan mm-hmm. as well, and he's not attached to Evan yet. Uh, yes. So I, it, it's, I was a little confused on the first read-through, but you're right, the second read-through, um, yeah. Yeah, it becomes clear that he's leaving behind the Blake part of himself, and, uh, you know, the practitioner side, the other side, is remaining. And so he's kind of becoming more other and getting more into the uh, the other side of stuff. Yeah, uh, becoming more Rose, uh, mm. which contrasts with what we see from Rose a bit a bit later in the chapter. But we'll yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so Blake <laughs> does a little trick where he he basically kind of just is able to get out of the cell because he's so not Blake anymore that people don't even really seem to notice that he just kind of leaves the cell and tries to hurry away before Duncan discovers what he's up to. Yeah, well, he sort of cuts these connections, but uh, I think. Under normal circumstances, those connections would have reformed more readily as somebody yeah. who's dripping blood everywhere walks past you. Uh, but he's, yeah. he's kind of fading out of existence, I guess, a bit. So, um, yeah. like, there's this bit where two paramedics rush by him and, he and you know, he, he draws a circle of blood around himself so that they don't see him and they run past and, and Blake sort of smirks, which is like mm-hmm. an oddly ar- arrogant and positive emotion to be feeling in this situation where it's like, ha I've drained myself of so much blood, you can't even see me. <laughs> Take that. Ha <laughs> 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 paramedics, I'm bleeding everywhere, but you can't find me. <laughs> it's a really yeah. hollow victory uh, in yeah. my book, but Blake, Blake seems really proud of himself. Yeah. Um, maybe the the, uh, the more other Blake becomes, that, that manifests <laughs> a smugness for him. Um, so Blake kind of gets into a staircase to get down to the ground floor, and he as he kind of stumbles down the stairs blood and feathers start falling off of him which is such a bizarre little moment and Blake kind of in his in his unfocused state gets distracted looking at his tattoos seeming to be losing feathers um yeah such a cool moment yeah I literally um, stopped and said what the fuck when I yeah. read this um uh, like I, I think I say this every time 
Blake's tattoos come up, but I still don't feel like I understand all the metaphors and stuff that they represent. And maybe it's because I'm trying too hard to quantify it. Uh, you know, it's the, the sort of scientist slash engineer in me trying to trying to tie it all to to uh, uh, literal like literally. Um, maybe maybe yeah. I think think uh, more literal. Mm. Um, no, more metaphoric, more symbolically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I want to read out the quote here because it is such a it is such a WTF moment, right? Um, yeah. Blake uh, thinks, I looked down for the source of the feathers and I saw my tattoos. Three of the birds were beheaded or partially beheaded, <laughs> the cuts intersecting their faces and necks, the other parts of their bodies already gone. Like, shit. Oh. And then his, um, his response at the end of this paragraph, uh, this, at the end of this paragraph is, huh. Which is <laughs> so nonchalant. <laughs> like I can't tell if that's just Blake or if he's just so out of it he can't muster yeah. up an appropriate response or both. Uh, yeah, but that, um, that jumped yeah, out to of, me almost uh, as much as as the brutal description of these birds. I was like, that is <laughs> that is not an appropriate reaction to seeing what you have deduced as a symbol of your being being decapitated. It's not yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would if I don't know. I I think Blake is pretty out of it. And so I think we should be a bit charitable to him not taking this as seriously as he should. Um, or maybe he just kind of realizes, yeah, I fucked myself up here. Like, I don't need to see the birds to know that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. This isn't exactly news. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Blake kind of staggers along down these stairs and uh, is basically filling Rose in on what she's missed. The trials, the framing <laughs> for murder, all these are uh, fun times. And they, they talk about this so intensely that they don't really realize they're stuck in a in an MC Escher staircase. Yeah, uh, I, I love these sort of cliff notes. Um, it hurts to talk summaries from Blake where he's just giving her like <laughs> the shortest possible explanations of each bit individually. And it's like, it must be so frustrating for Rose because she's basically having to prod him for every piece of information. Like he gives her half answers <laughs> yep. that just raise more questions. It, um, it really reminds me of, um, you know, a, a parent kind of trying to prod their child for what happened today at school. And they just yeah, get all yeah. these like one word <laughs> answers. Um, yeah. Like he's yeah, disinterested totally. at the best of times and now is not the best of times. <laughs> um, there's also this great bit where as soon as Evan sort of comes up, Rose's first question is, how did you bind him? And mm. then after that, her next question or her next comment is like, using souls is different to ghosts. And mm. it's so Rose, she's instantly thinking about like the law and the, for lack of a better word, the science of Yeah, of the Evan's details, situation. the finer details of it. Rose, wait, none of that has even crossed Blake's mind uh, in, <laughs> in like the last five chapters. It's just, yeah. that's just Evan. Uh, it's not... He's not a soul or even a ghost or who gives a shit. It's just Evan. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great little moment uh, just as Rose has come back that helps highlight the differences between them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty great. Uh, I, I love we get Rose back and straight away we're seeing how much of a like improviser Blake is and how just that's just how, <laughs> it's like with the glamour where Rose is pointing out, oh, that shouldn't have worked. You know, it's. <laughs> it's Rose pointing out the flaws in what has somehow managed to work for him. Yeah, I, I um, guess there's definitely room to overthink in this world. Um, you know, yeah. Fell talked a lot about uh, over over uh, saturating yourself with knowledge, and I guess Blake has avoided that so far. Yes, uh, but it's also possible to underthink, as Blake kind of realizes <laughs> that he does here, where. He, he kind of is talking about, oh, I'm able to just kind of focus on one thing and I get tunnel vision, but I can actually focus. It's awesome. And then he just kind of keeps describing how he reaches a landing and keeps rushing downstairs. Um, 
Evan tells him at one point, the front door is one floor down, and Blake passes four different landings before he realises that he's just <laughs> stuck in a loop. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that was funny. I, I didn't actually count that. Wait, the first time going through, I didn't notice that at all. I was way too engrossed mm-hmm. in the conversation and, and Blake's focus on his tunnel vision or, or lack thereof, yeah. uh, which is exactly what Blake and Rose did. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think the writing works really well because, again, you go back and read it and, and it's exactly like you said. There's four times where he takes note of the fact that he's, you know, turning around and he's hit the landing and yep. that doesn't make sense when they're only heading one floor down. Yeah, I I think it it works great because it also it does give you a bit of this sense of well how high up were they anyway before it kind of hits like you're just starting to 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 be a bit concerned that something's going on and then Blake realizes at the same time you do it's it's awesome um, yeah yeah and so, so there's this sorry. moment where Blake he he's so he's getting that tunnel vision and then he he tries to undo it basically and go the other way when he realizes <laughs> that it's limiting him. Yep. And he finds it a lot harder to go back to having blurry general awareness than he did to focus in and, and tunnel vision. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we've got a concrete answer yet as for why it was harder. Like Blake sort of wonders a bit, but I'm wondering if maybe it's because as he's transitioning to becoming a bit more othery, uh, there's a natural inclination to become a bit more um, focused, I guess, in one specific, specific, yeah, one specific avenue, you know, like we see mm. most others are... Um, you know, sort of centred around some sort of core idea and, and maybe that's sort of what was starting to happen to Blake. Yeah, they, they are. They do get the sense of being specialists rather than generalists, right? Um, so I think that, that could be an yeah, explanation of this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Blake has got himself caught in another weird mind-bending chronomancy trap, um, <laughs> which, you know, Laird and Duncan, they're jerks, but I, I do love this kind of, like, weird mind-bending trap shenanigans that they always pull. Yeah, and so I've got something here in my notes that I, I just had a good laugh, because I wrote this, and then I scrolled down, because you'd done a pass of notes first, and you'd written the same thing, just, like, two paragraphs down, which is... <laughs> This would be so much fun for escape rooms. Uh, like, this is It's a little escape room that Blake finds yep. himself in for the majority of this chapter. And you just think, you know, if the practitioners could put all the violence away and just make cool escape rooms, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't everyone be happier? Others could just, instead of tormenting humans through, like, torture and shit, they'd torment them through mind-bendling, you know, frustration puzzles. Yeah, well, um, it's like sore, but, for, but with magic. <laughs> Sorbet nicer, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, you know, the gang realises, oh shit, there's a rune that's making these stairs loop, and Evan kind of tries to reach through the wall to break it, but uh, it's salted, so he can't. Um, but there is a window in this stairwell, and, uh, you know, Blake sees that, and an idea starts to form. <laughs> yeah, so, but before Evan points the window out to Blake, which is a, a little funny moment in and of itself, uh, Rose has <laughs> already run off to see what she can do with her newfound uh, bonus power from Blake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a little argument. blood that, power. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a little argument that they have before she goes, because Blake is basically like, you need to go do something. And Rose is very hesitant to do that. And, and obviously mm. it's been a while since we got to really talk about Rose uh, in a way that is sort of about her because she's sort of been defined for the last arc by her absence. Um, mm-hmm. But she spends most of her time justifiably complaining that Blake never lets her do anything. And now we have sort of have this situation where he is like, can you do something? And she says no. And mm. 
I, mean, I, I don't want to be unfair to her. Like, this is not an ideal situation to be uh, called called to bat. Um, you know, yeah. like she, this is very stressful. But she sort of hesitates to even try and and experiment with what Blake has given her, and and we see. Yeah how valuable what he has given her is later but there's it's it felt very rose to me that there's this sort of even though she always complains that blake doesn't let her do things she is quite a hesitant like she likes to plan things out she's not an improvisational person and so yeah she hesitates when blake does ask her to just go and try and figure shit out well this is you know as you said like at the core of their characters, it, it, I think it's fair to define Blake as likes improvising, is good at improvising. Rose is the planner, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's fair. And, I don't know. It, we don't we don't know for sure how much time there has been since Rose came back and this whole thing started. They left the cell and all that stuff, but it's not a lot of time. I don't think there was much planning time in there. So, um, really, really, Rose was. Like in a window outside Isadora's office, and since then it's been all improv. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I, I get the impression for her it feels like it's probably been like five minutes. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and so feeling overwhelmed is is more than justifiable. But I, yeah. I just I do I, it did sort of stand out to me because she does usually complain that she doesn't get to do anything, and and now we see that you know it's it's a bit more than that. It's that also when she does get to do things, it's not in the situation that she would prefer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, you know, they're, they're stuck in this stairwell. It does have this, it has this like escape room vibe. They're just kind of, they don't really have a set way out. So they're just trying to like mess with different runes until they find the right combo to get out. Yeah. Blake just starts kicking windows. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which don't do that in, in real escape rooms. They're they're not fans of it. Uh, Rosa, so I like there's a point actually where Blake, he thinks, maybe I should just punch the wall really, really hard. Maybe that will help. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, obviously he doesn't do that. He's not that, he's not that delirious, luckily. Um, so Rose, uh, kind of realizes that she's, she's stronger than she was before with this blood magic, right? Um, and she's mm. able to break the window and, and, you know, it takes a little bit to, to break it. It takes two tries, but... She breaks it and she seems kind of fine, right? Well, um, and, and there's there's an implication from what she says that the first try wasn't even like she didn't go all out, you know. She yeah. She just sort of whacked it a bit and she's like, oh wow, this is easier than it was before. And so then then she really gives it like a proper whack. But it, yeah, yeah, she definitely she comments that she's very much stronger now than she was before. Yeah, and uh, you know, with that opening, Blake takes a run up and he does a little big old wind boosted jump. And he jumps right out of the window to safety, almost, except he just kind of gets looped back inside above the sterile and falls back down to the ground. Yeah, it's like this really ungraceful Super Mario one screen <laughs> jump where he, he he does this giant, uh, like, three metre tall jump and then just uh, sort of, you know, gets carried back into the room and flops down on the stairs i i i loved this moment it was glorious to read just it it goes from so victorious like you can just picture this like uh, a very uplifting score going on and then as he passes through the window it just all goes to hell flowing in the wind (laughs) yeah it's all in slow-mo yeah yeah um and duncan has caught up to them at this point uh duncan you know, is in the stairwell now, and uh, he, he kind of is standing above Blake, who is now just lying on the <laughs> ground after falling back down to the stairs. Um, 
And there's a moment where Duncan's like standing over him and Blake kind of mutters something trying to bait Duncan to come closer so that Rose can grab him. But uh, Duncan just doesn't move at all. And Blake doesn't even realize that it hasn't worked until he has to look up later to realize, oh, of course he didn't fall for this really basic trap. Yeah, it's this real moment of nice try, but but no. But no, uh, yeah, no, no dice. Um, but so, you know... R- Regardless, Rose does sort of have a crack anyway when they've realized it hasn't worked, and she she manages to shove her arm out of the mirror, which yeah. is like that's a big development that the chapter yeah, and, doesn't and Duncan really grabs her uh, arm. Yeah, and, and and the chapter doesn't really get a chance to to focus in on that, but that's that's a huge development. Like so far, all of the talk of Rose doing things has been in the context of Blake gets a domain yeah. and and sets it up so Vestige and then he can, can break the can, rules. Yeah, can come in and out. Uh, now we're seeing, you know, if he gets a decent amount of power from that domain or a familiar, he might yeah. be able to feed some of it into Rose and she can get more and more corporeal, which is like a big deal. Uh, yeah. Her, her potential versatility for the rest of the story just uh, drastically increased. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah. So so Duncan kind of is wise to some of Blake's tricks. And so he gets Evan to run off giving him a chance to come and advance on Blake with a taser. But uh, Evan comes back. Uh, Evan has run downstairs and then looped to back above stairs, <laughs> kind of stands behind Duncan and screams into his ear, basically, um, which uh, spooks him, gives Blake and Rose a chance to to uh, to get away. Um, there's a little bit of a scuffle before Blake breaks another one of Duncan's runes and jumps through the window, this time successfully landing outside. Yes, so second time was the charm in this case for his giant uh, leap out the window. Yeah, um, who needs but... a third time around? <laughs> well, uh, Blake probably will at the end of this chapter uh, from the sounds of it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Duncan also does a bit of a villain monologue here. Uh, and he explains that part of the reason the Bahames are so arrogant is because when you're studying time, which is this big, immovable sort of constant force yeah uh you know like time can't be messed with and so people who mess with time get this sense that they can't be messed with and sort of you know that's (laughs) that's why they're smug just because you know it's not their fault it's just because they're chronomancers yep sure (laughs) whatever whatever man yeah whatever if you say so (laughs) uh but he, he also he also kind of talks a bit more about how he doesn't often get a chance to do much for the family and you know, mm. thinking about all the things he said so far this arc i wonder if maybe this is uh a bit of a sore point for for old dunko um where you know maybe he is sort of the behame that got shoved off to the distant uh city of toronto to be a, a cop in a in a shitty little beat you know and i wonder if yeah i wonder if that's a bit of a weakness blake might get to exploit later uh not to just bait that. him into something uh- if I was a Baham, like the basic, from what we understand, the way their family works is they all kind of pay power into this pot, and then the family kind of uses it for bigger things, like the 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 ritual at, uh, uh, that kind of fucked over the access to the house, and uh, you get the sense that this is a, a bigger ritual as well that maybe is taking some power from the family pot. Um, it would suck to be a practitioner and to just have to constantly like pay, I don't know, like income tax to your family constantly. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, maybe maybe there's a chance for Blake to win all, over old Duncan here, but he does seem to be a lot of a loyalist. Um, or, anyway. or maybe not win him over, but bait him into doing something stupid by, you know, playing that weakness. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so there's this really cinematic moment when Blake jumps out the window. I'm going to read it out because it's awesome. Um, something, a lot of somethings, broke. 
all through the building. My exit was followed by a spray of glass, bloodstained feathers, and dust. The wind runes wake, perhaps, or the change in pressure that came with the breaking of the effect in the stairwell, releasing the pent-up energy and whatever else. It's such a... It's such a cool cinematic moment. I want the, uh, the packed adaptation where we see Blake sailing through the air with a cloud of feathers and dust and glass shattering behind him as he lands outside. <laughs> it's so, it's an awesome image. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and yeah, you can't help but just visualize it in this sort of slow-mo, heavily CGI'd, uh, uh, effect. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so Blake sails through the air and lands outside. Sort of. Uh, he hasn't quite landed outside, more landed on the other side, seeing visions of a, a kind of twisted mirror version of reality. Yeah, and so Rose kind of gives him a speech on how she thinks he's uh, sort of sinking, and then she also uses the term uh, slipping through the cracks, which I've, from the looks of it, jumped out to both of us as uh, connecting to Marcy, the girlfriend of the mm. shotgun the girlfriend of shotgun the son, son of the shotgun knight um, yeah so yeah i mean I, I i wonder if this is going to be you know blake's expedition in slightly into the world of the others is going to be a, a useful thing when it comes to the eurasia demon yeah yeah it's a good point um and rose <laughs> rose is kind of explaining what this a bit about this place theoretical place um she calls it the spirit analog to the deep wilderness no shit, I asked. Sometimes there's shit, she said. <laughs> that's that's like a robot level of not understanding idioms. It's crazy how much she, I, this must be intentional. I don't. It's that's too wild for her to not understand that idiom. Yeah, I I agree. The the way she just immediately uses it to segue into kind of what she was already talking about makes me think that she must have just been. <laughs> um doing a little bit because it's uh I, I mean either that or it's like some weird thing where a- answering his question was related to karma and being forsworn or something uh, but i don't really buy that I, I think she's just i think she's just being a bit of a smart ass back to him yeah i like the idea of it's kind of how you treat a child right like sometimes they they say weird things and you kind of half play along with them just so you can get back to making your point to them <laughs> um that kind of feels like what she's doing like yeah oh yeah sometimes there's shit and shit and blood and and all this other stuff that i was already going to talk about um yeah yeah <laughs> um so you know blake sees this weird uh upside down world and decides up oh, no dice, I preferred it in the police station. And so he decides <laughs> to go back in there and uh, do something. It's, it, it isn't immediately sure what. Uh, immediately obvious what. I, I, say I disagree with that. I think it was pretty obvious. Oh, like Blake, does, Blake doesn't spell it out, but um, uh, maybe it's just me because every time Blake talks about how drained he is or mm. how he's relying on the glamour, so for the last like three arcs, I've just constantly been sitting here every time I read it going... Get a familiar. You need a new source of power. Get a domain. <laughs> get a familiar. Uh, like, like if this was me, I really would have tried to solidify myself as a top priority. So that mm. it's just always at the front of my mind. So as soon as he was going back in, I was like, "Yeah, do the Evan thing. You got to get." I actually thought, but to be fair, I thought he was going to get Evan's body. I didn't figure he mm. was going to try and do uh, the ritual. Do the right ritual now, right but, there. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It does become apparent that that uh, Blake wants to go back in to do a familiar ritual. And uh, Rose kind of objects to this at first, um, which, yeah, I, I think it's mm. a reasonable objection. 
yeah, I think we'll talk about this for for a couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> this is, <laughs> is going to be a thing because uh, this is this is pretty important. And so, first of all, her first objection is just based on the fact that he's a soul. Like again, it's very practical yeah. like discussing the systems of pact um sure but then yeah it turns into a more of a full-blown uh argument between the two mm. and i find it very difficult uh, to sort Mr. of pick a side <laughs> yeah uh so basically rose i think rose's objection here is you know i uh, this is a big decision you're marrying <laughs> yeah. a child like <laughs> i need to think about it i've only been back alive for like 10 minutes and and blake's response is well, I'm sorry, but we don't have time to think about it. It's like now or never. We're not going to be able to get back into this police station. Um, well, and I mean, things aren't going to go well for them if they don't pull something yeah. out of left field. Uh, it, oh, yeah, yeah. Like they both they both have really valid points. Uh, so it's really hard to kind of call one of them uh, out uh, for being wrong or right. Because, yeah, like, yeah, it's a big decision <laughs> for Rose and yeah. she's having to make it under duress, uh, which yeah. isn't really fair. Like Bla- Blake's gone to so much effort. To make sure Evan's not making this this decision under duress, <laughs> uh, Rose has not gotten any of that consideration. Yeah, um, why would he consider her? Come on, let's be <laughs> yeah, reasonable on, here. On the other hand, like Blake's right, this is you know e- e- Evan's about as good a familiar companion as they've found uh, for the start. Yeah. But then also, yeah, this is Blake is also kind of doing it under duress a little bit as well. He had sort of made this decision anyway, but it really does. It is it is a now or never type thing. Uh, yeah, she does kind of need to make the decision right now and that's not fair but that's also not entirely blake's fault so it, it is just sort of the situation yeah um i think i agree with blake here although i think i don't know evan is the first familiar that has been nice right like <laughs> not the first familiar the first other he's obviously yeah. a bit of a a different case and so i i can kind of see the point that the Blake and Evan thing could be, you know, puppy love. It's it's Blake's first real relationship with an other that isn't <laughs> that has happened, right? Like I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think one of the best parts of this this little argument is the ending where Rose calls Blake a, an asshole, and again, a, a fair. Um, and <laughs> yeah. then Blake responds with, uh, "Well, you know, I'm not really me at the moment," <laughs> and Rose retorts uh, that she's that. It might be the opposite, and maybe he's mm-hmm. the most him right now. Yeah. Uh, and then she just, Oof. with that, she leaves, um, which, yeah, is, that's a, which is a that's great a solid slam the exit door. line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and I think Blake's yeah. next thought is that he went he he went to go and see Evan, and he was really angry. Um, yeah. Uh, Good way to start does, a relationship. Doesn't point out that she was wrong. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great moment. Yeah. Um, so Blake again gives Evan a chance to back out of this and, and Evan decides, no, I'm in, I'll become your familiar. Um, they kind of swear their, uh, undying love to each other. And this does seem to win Rose over a bit. Um, Rose gets the book and Evan starts, uh, reading off the ritual to bind himself to Blake. Yeah. I mean, I, I Evan would be hard to hate. I, I have to imagine that Evan and Rose mm. probably will get along. Um, cause, well, I like both of them as characters, so I'll be upset if they don't. Um, yeah, but yeah, like I, I think it would be hard to hate Evan. So I, I think he just this conversation between him and Blake probably does win her over a little bit. Um, yeah, there's an interesting bit where Evan kind of calls Blake out a bit and is like, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you picking Rose?" Mm. And Blake was like, "Oh, well, I don't want to pick Rose just because she's there." Yeah, I, I have to say as well, I don't think Rose would want to be Blake's familiar. <laughs> like, I think she yeah. would see that as as 
finding herself more in the slave slave owner relationship. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing because at the moment she's kind of already there. She's getting all of the cons of the familiar relationship and none of the perks. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's an argument there, but you, you're right. Familiar is making her his familiar would be making it permanent. Whereas yeah. I think they're both kind of still holding out hope that they can break. <laughs> Uh, their current bond a little bit um, yeah i i imagine if their bond does get broken i i don't know i don't think they'd want to stick around together right no i think i i think they'd stay in touch but more like more like cousins yeah. than uh yeah exactly than what they are now um yeah but um, it, anyway that so so blake does quickly mention to evan that like oh well, he doesn't want to pick rose because she's just there and i think this this comes across as a really nice sentiment but the more i thought about it it's like that is also explicitly saying that she, he doesn't want her as his familiar because if yeah it, you know if she was just there but he did really like her then he probably still would make her his familiar so he is avoiding saying that he doesn't want her as his familiar yeah definitely um, um which you know you we know. said rose wouldn't want to be his familiar but i think i think this is blake also kind of telling us that he wouldn't want Rose either. It's it's a mutual uh, yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, but Blake and Evan do seem to be a good fit, right? Um, Blake has this desire to do good that's so... I, I wrote naive in my notes, but that's probably not the right word. Um, yeah, like pure. Innocent. Pure, maybe. Yeah, pure. Um, he, he very much does want to do good, right? He has this simple view of morality. Things are capital G good or capital B bad, and Blake is going to do capital G good. Um, and Evan, you know, quite nicely fits this. Evan has said he wants to make the bad things go away, right? So they, they do fit together well in their motivations. Yeah, and, and as we've touched on and, and as they've touched on, they've got um, those similarities in yeah their, their bad days. So... Um, yeah, I mean, they do they do make quite a good pairing. Yeah, um, there's also another very touching moment where Blake makes Evan promise that once Blake is gone, once their bond is broken, Evan will agree that he's done good and he can move on. He will, you know, he deserves to be at rest, and once this bond is done, Blake makes him promise that he will go and seek rest. He will pass on. Yeah, you're right. It's It's very touching, and Blake has to sort of twist evan's thumb to get him to do it but it's such like a selfless move by blake in a way like kind of forcing evan yeah. to be kinder to himself like that's he makes evan's big promise be that he will be like fairer on himself um it's yeah i think uh, we talked about seeing your flaws in other people i think blake does see a flaw that he and evan seem to share which is you know self-sacrifice right like the heroic sacrifice um and blake says to evan hey you can do this heroic sacrifice for a bit, but, you know, once once I'm gone, it's time to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, well, I just hope Blake doesn't put Evan in a situation where it's tough for Evan to actually believe he did good uh, by the time his yeah. time with Blake is up. Because um, I know Blake, yeah. Blake definitely means to allow Evan to keep that promise, but uh, Blake doesn't always get to do what Blake wants to do uh, because everyone's yes, trying Blake to kill him. Yes, Blake is not great at <laughs> keeping those promises sometimes. Uh, so... Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. Yeah, and the uh, the chapter ends there with Evan reciting the ritual. Yeah, so presumably we'll the we'll start the next chapter as the ritual's ended, or you know, time skip twenty years ahead, and they're <laughs> older now, and they've you know they've been working together for a long time. Everyone um, lived happily anyway. ever after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where the story ends. Actually, this is the last chapter. 
so that's the end of Not Packed. That was a joke, but it is the end of our episode. <laughs> Almost. Uh, before we wrap up, a little reminder. Um, we, we're doing a discussion question. Uh, uh, that question is, if a practitioner has vowed to serve a system, is it okay for them to break the rules of that system to help deal with magical entities the rules don't account for? So we were kind of thinking about Duncan when we wrote this, but we want to apply to uh, things that aren't just policemen. Uh, any mm. kind of system, where is the line to break the rules of that system? Um, kind of keeping the uh, the spirit of the law but not the letter, perhaps, is another way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, so, same same as last time, uh, you know, you can chuck your thoughts on that discussion question in the uh, discussion thread for this chapter or the previous one, and we'll pull them all out for our uh, 5.4 recording. Yep. Um, yes. Before we get to that, though, uh, we wanted to dive into some comments from this chapter, comments that were made five years ago when this chapter first came out. Yeah. Uh, now, I've pulled out a, a little comment thread that I really want to jump into, which is uh, something that I love doing, uh, speculating. Um, <laughs> this speculation chain includes comments by uh, Farmer Bob one Mian, Psycho Gecko, and more, all kind of speculating what animal shape Evan might take as a familiar Um they, they, there's kind of a consensus of, you know, he's loyal, he's, he's something zippy and fast. Uh, animals being thrown around include dog, monkey, bird, rabbit. Um, actually, I really like the idea of Evan being a rabbit familiar, <laughs> except, you know, we've, we've had a few horrifying rabbit incidents lately, so maybe it doesn't have the best connotations. Well, but, yeah. but you know, Evan is, you know, small, quick, and... Uh, you know, as we saw with uh, Duncan, where he screamed in his ear, you know, he has a bit of bite, and that's what we've learned rabbits mm. have as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it is it is actually a pretty good fit. And a rabbit is a relatively normal animal to be bringing around with you, because that would be my biggest concern with a familiar is, you know, if it's a dog or a cat, oh, yeah. okay. But uh, from memory, Rose Senior's mother had like a snake or something, which, you know, isn't the most yeah. mobile of, of pets normally. Um Sandra Duchamp has a, a stoat, also not a, a bit of a weird one, but I guess you can kind of conceal it. Wait, what's a stoat again? I've completely forgotten. It's, it's like a what? weasel thing. Yeah. It's like okay. a weasel, basically. Um, she, Sandra's one of those people that you see sometimes who have who are carrying around weasels with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love, I love this kind of speculation stuff, so I just thought I'd pull that out. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out uh, pretty soon from the looks of it. Um, yeah, and so I, I've pulled out a comment by Enju, uh, Enjiao. I think we've pulled one of their mm-hmm. comments before and not figured out how to pronounce their name. But uh, <laughs> we'll get it next time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Enjiao brings up a, a few points. Um, they brought up the Rose point we sort of touched on about how it's a big deal that Rose can now act out of the mirror. Uh, and mm, you know how, how Blake is falling for that trap that we, we heard about in 4.x, trying to be a good diabolist. Uh, but I think the really interesting idea that they brought up was their last one, which is uh, we we, we kind of skimmed over uh, all the feathers that were popping out of Blake's tattoos mm. uh, as he was running yep. around for most of this chapter. As those birds were getting beheaded. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are a few moments uh, throughout the chapter where he runs around and sort of collects those feathers and, and keeps them because, uh, you know, Blake likes to hold on to anything magical he can get because he usually gets to use yep. them. Um, yep. and the, the, so he grabs some of the feathers and there's a fair few comments in this, uh, under this chapter speculating on the feathers and what they might be used for. But I really like this idea from Enjiao that they represent Blake's like physical presence, you know, cause they're sort of coming mm. off of him as he's entering this, this, or as he's sinking and slipping through these cracks. So maybe 
Yeah. They're essentially pieces of Blake in the, you know, symbolic sense. Um, yeah, and they're the distilled Blake trinkets. Yeah, and and so basically what Enjau points out is that having uh, separate distinct components of yourself might be useful when going up against an erasure demon uh, mm. as, as ammunition or, you know, as a safety net to find more of yourself later. I don't know, but uh, I, I like that idea. Mm, I, I just, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed all the comments sort of going into the feathers and the tattoos and what they represent because uh, it's it's a really fun topic right now. Yeah. On the note of the erasure demon, um, Andrew also points out that uh, ghosts might be the best possible allies there because, uh, you know, the erasure demon is, is about, like, making people forget things and ghosts are, like, incarnations of memories, um, which is an interesting point. I don't know. Blake might have accidentally stumbled into the perfect tools to fight this thing. Yeah, well, I guess we're back to that whole do you fight like with like or do you fight like with the opposite? <laughs> um, I guess, yeah. I guess we'll, well see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, have a bit of both. Um, it's probably a good idea. Yes. Uh, but that's that's the end of uh, Conviction 5.3 of our discussion about it, at least. Um, thank you everyone for joining us. Remember, get your answers to those discussion questions in to our discussion thread, which will be linked in the episode description down below. Yes, and if you're enjoying this show and any of the other shows on the Doof Network, please head to patreon.com slash doofmedia. Uh, this, ne- uh, this podcasting network is entirely backer-based, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, we really count on everyone's donations to keep the microphone lights on yeah i mean one tangible example is uh when we were just doing this show with uh, just the two of us we had it as uh, you know we had it hosted on our own shitty little server and that meant that sometimes when a new episode came out some people would have errors downloading it because our server couldn't handle the load um now that we are a part of the doof media network we are getting some money from people like you hopefully who are backing the network and that means we can make our server more stable and make sure that you know all these things that do go into delivering a podcast or the technical side can be more covered um so yeah if if you enjoy all the all the uh, content that the doof media network produces why not uh, prove it huh puts uh, put your money where your mouth is and check out the patreon Yes, and uh, while you're hopefully doing that, don't forget to stop by Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and send some money his way because he's writing all these fantastic stories. Yes, he does all these cool things that allow us to uh, spend uh, hours every week talking about them and enjoying (laughs) them. Um, So definitely check that out. Uh, And if you want to hear more from us, I'm afraid you'll have to wait until we do our episode on 5.4, which will be coming out on Wednesday, the 17th of April. So we'll uh, see you then. See ya. See ya.